Welcome to Al Bernstein Unplugged Unboxing. In a 40-year Hall of Fame career, Al has chronicled some of the greatest moments in boxing history. On this podcast, you get to hear him expand on those memories and talk about the current news in the sport of boxing. You also hear Al interview some of the biggest names in the sport. Here's Al Bernstein Unplugged. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the show. Happy you joined us because we have a couple of guests to bring your way uh, on this episode. We're going to be talking with Brandon Lee, who is the very, very talented 140-pound uh, prospect who is now 21-0, and 0, uh, had a highlight reel knockout of Samuel Taya uh, in his last fight uh, and uh, appears destined for... Uh, stardom at the very least in the sport of boxing. Can't ever tell for sure when a fighter's a prospect, but he seems to have all the uh, boxes checkmarked, and we'll be talking to him. And I thought, as we do sometimes in this show, I wanted to bring on somebody who gives you another view of, uh, of Brandon. Uh, recently, we had a Raisa Lee on, and we had his promoter, Marshall Kaufman, on to talk a little bit about that end of, uh, of what he was doing. In this case, I'm going to bring on a gentleman who has shepherded uh, Brandon Lee through his initial television appearances, and that is Gordon Hall, who is the executive producer of Showbox, uh, the series on uh, Showtime uh, that has featured Brandon Lee several times and has now made him uh, a fighter with a lot of buzz in the sport of boxing. And uh, Gordon's going to talk a little bit about that end of uh, of the maturation of Brandon Lee and uh, how he's contributed to Showbox and how Showbox has contributed to his career as well. Uh, you, of course, send us questions at Al Bernstein on Twitter, and we hope you keep doing it. Uh, questions you want me to answer. And toward that end, let's bring in my co-host, Mr. Trip Mitchell. Hi, Trip. How are you? I am doing great, Al. And as usual, fun to watch you on Showtime. And you guys had a very nice card the other night. Boy, did we ever. Yeah, uh, we had uh, in our main event, of course, uh, Jerron Boots Ennis uh, taking on Sergey Lipinets, and he his performance was excellent. Uh, and he uh, knocked out or stopped uh, Sergey Lipinets uh, and puts himself in, in line for some potentially really good fights. And that was a very exciting um from one end, anyway, uh, it wasn't a super competitive fight, but watching Bootsendis do what he did was remarkable. However, if you want to talk about competition, our first fight of the evening was, I think, a candidate, an early candidate for fight of the year, German Ancajas, uh, who has uh, one of the 115-pound world titles, uh, took on Jonathan Rodriguez. And it was really interesting because Rodriguez came in while undefeated and a mandatory challenger kind of an unknown quantity. He had one good win amongst all his wins, but very little video uh, existed of him, a Mexican fighter who uh, had labored a little bit in obscurity, but had found his way to the number one mandatory spot uh, to get the title shot. And I, watching this video I did see of him, and just from what I had heard, I thought he was going to be tougher than sometimes the mandatory challengers that are little known. He was that and more. Um, he and Akahas uh, produced a brilliant 12-round fight. Uh, it was uh, just superb. Both men battled away. It was fought not only in an exciting manner, but both men were very skillful in what they did 
in the fight. And uh, at the end of the day, Ancahas won the match. Um, the decision, I thought, was one fight, one score was 115-112, which made sense because there was a knockdown. Ancahas knocked down Rodriguez in the middle rounds. But then the other two scorecards were wider, and I thought made no sense at all because I thought the fight was a very, very close fight. But either way, you can make a strong case for Ancahas winning the, the match. And it was brilliant. And I think at this point is a one of the early front runners for a fighter of the year, for sure. Well, let's get to our question. Mr. Bame asks, after seeing Boots last Saturday, is he ready for a top five welterweight slot? Yeah, that's a very good question. You know, he... That was his first fight against a, a world-class fighter in his battle with Sergei Lipinets. And, of course, he passed the flying colors. The interesting thing about that question is they believe he's ready. So uh, Boutsenis thinks he's ready. His dad, uh, Bozianis, his trainer, uh, he believes he's ready. His manager, Cameron Duncan, he thinks he's ready. So they would accept a world title shot tomorrow if it was handed to them, which is interesting. And uh, some might question that, but he's clearly, a, a, you know, not only a talented fighter, but a, a confident one right now. It's unlikely he would get a world title shot at this juncture. Uh, Errol Spence is likely to fort, fight Udenis Ugas, who has another part of the world title. Uh, and... Uh, Terrence Bud Crawford is not likely to, to fight Ennis at this juncture, the other champion. So where does that leave Boots Ennis? Uh, well, it leaves him a lot of opportunities. You know, there are the upper echelon fighters like Keith Thurman coming back after a long layoff. Sean Porter, who has shown a willingness to fight literally everyone. And he is just this much below Spence Crawford. Uh, you know, he he, he gave uh, Errol Spence everything he wanted in a fight that you could have uh, scored for a uh, Porter. I think everyone knows that uh, I think feels he would give Bud Crawford a fantastic fight as well. Uh, and he had a very close fight with uh, Dana Sugas that he won, um, even though it was disputed by some people. So those fighters, you could make a case for Ennis fighting them. They're unlikely to fight him at this juncture. So the place where he's more likely to go is a fighter like Jamal James, who has a version of the 150 or 147-pound title in the WBA. Of course, the WBA has four different world titleists on some level, because why wouldn't they, right? Uh, <laughs> there must be four worlds out there. Uh, but Jamal James is a very good fighter. Uh, but he's one that it would make a lot of sense for Boots Ennis to fight. Uh, and that would certainly be, a, I think, a makeable match. The other one, one other one that's interesting is Kustio Clayton, who had a draw with Sergey Lipinets, the man that Ennis has just beaten. But many people believe Clayton might have won that fight. He's a very durable 147-pounder. Uh, and unlike Lipinets, who was, came up from 140, and people weren't sure his strength was there for 147, uh, Kustio Clayton's a strong uh, welterweight. So... Those are two options that are open to, to Jerron Ennis. There's one thing I know. He wants a challenge in his next fight, and uh, we'll see him against somebody uh, in the top 10 in the welterweight division uh, his next time out. Uh, a young man who hopes that pretty soon he can get to face a, uh, a top junior welterweight at 140 pounds 
is Brandon Lee. Now, this young man is uh, has a remarkable story. He was 181 and nine as an amateur. Uh, started boxing at eight and was a phenom. Immediately, they knew he was going to be a very talented boxer, and he certainly turned out to be that. He is 21 and 0 as a professional. 19 knockout wins. And the interesting stat about Brandon Lee is he has not lost a fight since 2014 in the Junior Olympics. So he's on a great run, and we had a chance to chat with him. Here's our talk with Brandon Lee. Brandon, you uh, started at such an early age in boxing, eight or nine years old, that uh, was there ever a time in your life where you didn't think boxing was going to be the dominant force? No, not at all. Um, you know, it's just when I started boxing, it was just something that I was passionate for. It was just everything just clicked to me. Um, you know, of course, we had some some downfalls, but uh, I just kept kept going, kept going and everything turned out well. Yeah, your amateur career was was superb. And you, uh, of course, your dad uh, not only taught you the sport, but guided you through your amateur days as he is doing in your uh, professional days, what over the course of that time, and this is, uh, you know, I've, I've known many boxers who have been trained by their fathers, and each of them kind of, each tr uh, duo of them kind of deals with it in a different way. What's your way of separating out the father part from the trainer part and making it work on both ends? Um, well, when I first started boxing, my father, he, he made it very um, noticeable that I'm I'm the trainer, you're the boxer. I'm your father, you're my son. So, you know the the student should will always should and always respect the teacher. So um, it's, it goes hand in hand with the father and the son. You know the son should always respect the father. So you know when we're in the gym, he's my trainer. When we're at home, he's my father. So that you don't find the 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 is is it easy to to, you know, to put, keep things at the office and then come home and have the regular father-son relationship that, you know, you, you feel is appropriate? Yeah, for the most part. Um, of course, you know, there's some days where, where, uh, where he forgets to leave the boxing in the gym. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> <Mostly> him, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. It's not, yeah, it's because it's a, you know, it's a delicate balance. Um, you're, uh, education has always been important uh, to your family uh, and has been an important part of your life. Uh, and in fact, you're currently a, a college student uh, majoring in, I believe, criminology, correct? Correct. Yeah. 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 What year are you in in school, by the way? I'm a junior. Okay. So you're, and you are a full-time college student uh, and somehow you're making that work with being a Full-time professional prize fighter. Um, not an easy task. Not at all. Um, the first semester, I was a full-time student. I took on like five classes and, uh, you know, it was tough. There's times where I had to miss assignments because I had to go sparring, I had to go train. Um, so this semester, I'm only taking one or two, I'm taking two classes. So um, we had to adjust a little bit. So now I'm a, I'm a part-time student, but, you know, we're still getting the job done and uh, working to, to the bachelor degree. Okay, and you fully expect to get that degree, right? Oh, most definitely. It's definitely, yeah. it's, it's, it's on my list of goals, so, yeah. 
And 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 how important is that? Uh, where do you put that in terms of? Is that something that's really vital and important to you to get that degree? Um, you know, boxing always comes first. Everything else comes second. But it is important to me just to make my mom and my, my dad happy. Okay. Well, we do a lot of that to keep our parents happy, don't we? Um, uh, you were a uh, a boxing prodigy in some ways, and. At age 14, amazingly, uh, Tim Bradley and his uh, his uh, folks called you to actually spar with him as he was getting ready, I think, for the Juan Manuel Marquez fight. Um, that had to be a unique experience for uh, somebody so young to do that. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I'm just this little this little kid sparring a world champion at the time. And um, it was just – I know he was working with me, but at the same time, I was, like, just surprised – that, you know, I was, ta- I was tagging him. So for this little kid, 14 year old to be tagging a world champion, that was uh, shocking to me. And not only that, after, after we were done sparring, he said, hey, get in the ring. And he, I thought he was going to show me something. He goes, can you show me how you moved like that? I was like, what? <laughs> so, um, yeah, but, you know, overall, Tinder Bradley is just such a humble, great guy. Yes. Um, he, li- he lives down the street from me. So from time to time, we see each other, and he's always giving corners and tips. Yeah, Tim is a great guy, and he's the kind of guy that I would think would be uh, having him nearby and even having him as a resource is probably a a great thing for you. Um, You uh, are a very powerful fighter. We know that. Your your knockout ratio is huge. Uh, But you also think of yourself as a cerebral fighter, don't you? Yeah, I I mean, I could box. When I first started boxing, my father taught me how to box. not until later on then I started developing more of a puncher style. But, you know, I know how to box. It's just that I haven't had a chance to box. Well, that's true. You haven't. You know, you've been knocking everybody out. And your your last knockout of Samuel Teo was, went viral. That was one of the most stunning knockouts, uh, you know, that bo- we've seen in, in, uh, in boxing uh, in recent times. And uh, that kind of garners you even more attention. Of course, you've been fighting on, on Showtime on, on the Showbox series and getting attention as one of the hottest, if not the hottest prospect in boxing. But that knockout uh, in this day and age of social media created the kind of buzz that kind of propels you. What does that mean that your next step is? I know you've talked about maybe wanting to fight for a championship as soon as 2022, but where do you think you're at now in your progression? You know, um, I'm going to be 22 this year. So, you know, I'm developing, I'm, I'm becoming a man. Um, to be honest, if, if I had to choose, we just got the IBO Intercontinental. I would like to go get the IBO world title um, by the end of this year. That's for me personally. But at the end of the day, it's all the time manager, Cameron Dunn. Yeah, Cameron Duncan's your manager. And of course, you haven't yet. I mean, to be frank, you haven't yet faced that top 10 opposition or somebody that's even nibbling around the top 10. So probably that would be the first step, wouldn't it? Yeah, um, I suppose. Uh, or we could, we could go straight to it. Um, you know, I'm sparring. I'm, the, the, these guys I'm sparring, right. they're, they're uh, either formal champions, world champions, or, you know, top 10 um, there's a lot of Uzbekistan's guys out of here, out of, the, out of, out of the Joel Diaz camp. So I'm working with them today. I just got some rounds in with Omar Figueroa. So, um, 
I'm getting quality work. So you feel like that experience with those world-class uh, champions and former champions gives you the feeling that you belong in the ring with champions. Most definitely. Um, you know, if I could dominate or, you know, be competitive with, with those guys, I'm sure that I could um, hold my own with, with, with anyone else. Mm -hmm. um, the 140-pound division, which is where you reside at the moment, uh, is a very talented division. And there is a major fight coming up, uh, a, a championship unification match uh, between Josh Taylor and Jose Ramirez. And I know you have more than a passing interest in the people in your division. I'm curious, what do you think of that fight? Uh, what's your analysis of how that fight might go down? Um, you know, if I had to bet money on it, on it, I'm betting on Josh Taylor because, you know, Josh Taylor, light on his feet, southpaw, um, good boxer, good punching power, good defense. Where Jose Ramirez, to me, is one-dimensional. He just comes forward, wants to throw body shots, um, left hooks, left uppercuts. Um, or Josh Taylor, it just to me, he's more, uh, he's more loose. He just he does mm -hmm. what he wants to do. Where Jose Ramirez, he does where he, what he has to do. So um, I'm going with Josh Taylor. And, and uh, somewhere down the road, could you see yourself challenging the winner of that fight? You know, that'd be a dream of mine to become uh, undisputed. That'd be, that'd be something. Yeah, that's for sure. How long will you, uh, how long can you stay at 140 pounds? Is this where you think you'll make your home for the next couple of years? That's the plan. Um, I made 140 easy my last fight. I'm looking forward to make my fight, making 140 again my next fight. So I plan to stay at 140. You've, as I mentioned, you've made kind of a, a, a real reputation already this early, uh, uh, you know, at this point in your career. And you've been a pro for four years. You, you, you turned professional early. You decided not to wait to try and go to the Olympics. So you're, you know, you've had a period as a pro, but you're just now stepping into the, the elite kind of situation. Um, do you feel like you're can you feel yourself over these four years getting better and better and better as a fighter yeah most definitely you know my first i'd say my first like 14 fights um i really didn't know what kind of style i had as a professional you know especially my first my pro debut i went in there thinking that oh i got these small small gloves on i'm just gonna go in there and knock them out knock them out and that's not the case i mean i did knock them out but um, you know, I got hit also. So yeah, just because I'm strong doesn't mean I can't, I can just go in there and just knock these guys out. You know, um, you really got to set it up. You really got to, you know, it's like playing chess. You got to make your move uh, wisely. You lead a very disciplined life. You, uh, and I'm thinking that that approach to life for a young man uh, heading into a sport that's so mercurial as boxing is, has got to be helpful. Do you see that as a, a big uh, plus for you? The fact that you've already you, built into your DNA and your family life and the way you approach everything is a certain kind of, of discipline. Most definitely. You know, that's what, that's what um, separates me from the other guys. You know, while they're out partying and, you know, clubbing, I'm out, you know, in my room playing Xbox or in the gym or something. <laughs> yeah. 
And you, uh, you come from a, a blended family in which your dad is Korean and your, your mom is Mexican. And so it's a rich, uh, interesting heritage. What do you get from those two heritages that, uh, that you think uniquely makes you who you are? Um, in the boxing, you know, we all know that the Asians, they, they fight to death. And we all know that the Mexicans have a horrible bull. So um, I feel like I have the best of both worlds. And uh, it's very unique what I have. And, and what has it meant outside the ring to you? Outside the ring, um, you know what? I got to be honest, not too much because people look at me, oh, you're just Asian. Because they don't know. I don't look Mexican, so they don't think I'm Mexican. I tell them I'm Mexican and they say, oh, you're just playing. So, um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, to be different, um, cause I feel like you get Asian or white Asian with some black, you never really get Asian or Mexican. So I feel like it's very unique and, uh, you know, I'm proud to be, uh, half and half. Yeah. And, and, uh, and your journey at this juncture, um, is one that I think all, everybody in boxing is really looking at you and, with anticipation about what your future brings, which I think is probably a good way of describing the way you're looking at it too, right? Yeah, of course. But at the same time, you know, I can't let that get to my head. Um, I'm still, I'm still, uh, I have to constantly tell myself, you know, don't let the pressure get to you. It's just another fight. Take one fight at a time and um, let's see how it goes. What is next for you? What do you think uh, the next few months will bring? Uh, when do you think you'll be back in the ring next? Um, I should be back in the ring June or July. Um, like I said, by the end of 2021, I'd like to get my hands on the IBO world title. You know, um, John Ennis went for his IBO world title last fight. And uh, I, I like that's one of my goals for this year, to get my hands on that. All righty. Well, uh, you're you're well on your way to making uh, a very special boxing career, and uh, I know all my colleagues over on the Showbox side of things speak very highly of you. And uh, and pretty soon, I hope I'll have a chance to call some of your fights on Showtime Championship Boxing. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you very much. All right, thank all right, thanks, Brandon. So I hope you enjoyed that uh, chat with Brandon Lee. As you can see, he's a very focused and confident young man who seems to know exactly where he's going in the sport of boxing. And uh, he's hoping that in the next year or two, he's going to be right into contention for the 140-pound world championship. Now, the man who has put him on television uh, in these recent fights and given him a window to the world is the executive producer of Showbox on Showtime, Gordon Hall. And, of course, Gordon, my uh, compatriot at Showtime, who is uh, a man who has done a brilliant job of making the Showbox series very, very special. Gordon is also a vice president of operations at Showtime and has much broader responsibilities. But one of the things I know he's proudest of uh, is how he has shepherded Showbox uh, as a tremendous series that has brought us dozens of world champions who uh, used Showbox uh, as their chance to break into the sport. And Brandon Lee is uh, the poster kid for that. I mean, he has uh, had some amazing uh, performances on Showbox. And I thought it would be interesting to hear from Gordon about that process of getting him on Showbox and how it helps his career. Here's Gordon Hall. Gordon, uh, 
Brandon Lee, a young man who, of course, we're interviewing on this show as well, uh, is kind of a prototypical in a way of a number of fighters that have begun to make their name when they're on Showbox and then go on to greater heights, uh, oftentimes world championships. How does he fit in uh, as uh, a prototypical Showbox fighter? Well, I mean, we're always looking for the best talented prospects. Uh, you know, how do you judge that? Well, you know, first of all, it's amateur record. Uh, you know, Brandon Lee, who had 195 amateur fights and maybe five losses. Uh, you know, right there alone is something that you can hang your hat on when you want to tell the story about a fighter and why right. he could possibly be, you know, make it to the next level. Um, though with Brandon is, you know, he did turn pro very young, as we're seeing with some of the other talented fighters that are similar in age now in someone like a Devin Haney or even a Jerron Boots Ennis, mm -hmm. who's fighting this, this Saturday. Uh, you know, Brandon turned pro at 17. So he did, he fought junior, but he did not fight youth or elite. He didn't fight fighters that were 22, 23, 24 years old, or, or 20 for that matter. So when you have a fighter like that, obviously that development is going to take a little time. Were, are you, uh, since he's come on Showbox, the one thing that has been dominant in his performances is the explosive power. Uh, at the end of the day, that sells people on you as a fighter, doesn't it? Well, absolutely. Um, power knockouts everybody loves those of course but um you know opposition can also dictate power uh and i say that only because his opposition has been fighters that have had um you know limited experience right. or in some cases experience but we we brought him along he's fought four times on showbox now uh had a fifth appearance on showtime and uh, he has, you know, knocked out, you know, 20 of his 22 opponents and, and done what he's had to do to date. But it's been a little strategic in bringing him along. And, you know, it really wasn't until his last uh, fight against Sam Tia, where he really fought somebody of note to know that uh, if he were to stop someone like a Sam Tia, then that might be saying something. And plus Sam T had beaten a lot of noteworthy prospects right. and uh, was a, a big step up for fights. But Sam wasn't a puncher, um, but uh, he was somebody that if Brandon were to stop him, there was no doubt that people were going to take notice. You've been through this uh, scenario so many times with uh, dozens and dozens of young men uh, winning championships from uh, that started out on the the uh, the showbox uh, series, and there have been so many that didn't quite get to that level, but you've seen them burst on the scene. At what point do you kind of think in your brain, okay, this guy could make it, and this guy, I'm not so sure. Is it does it happen at different points in their showbox uh, uh, journey? I think. You know, prospects come in, you know, as they say, many, many shapes and sizes and various storylines. Um, you know, you can think that somebody is going to make mm -hmm. it 
and then um, and then then they don't. Or yeah. you can you can get fighters to a certain point uh, and and think that they could get to that next level and they don't. I mean, Chris, uh, you know, Avalos. Um, um, uh, excuse Avalos. me. Uh, no, yeah. it wasn't Chris Avalos. I, no. I'm sorry. Um, uh, Adam Lopez. Excuse oh, yeah, me. Adam Lopez. Right. So, so Adam Lopez, you know, we got him to fight Danny Roman. He was a fight away from, right. you know, getting to a, a title shot and he lost, um, you know, the same could be say, we can only get fighters so far. And then, you know, they, they, they get that test, uh, you know, but there have been fighters like Robert Guerrero that lost on Showbox and then came back to avenge his, uh, his uh, avenge the loss and then go on and win a world title and, uh, you know, go undefeated for his next 19 fights until he lost to Floyd Mayweather. So, you know, there's, there's many over the time. We, you know, our job here at, on Showbox is to help develop fighters and, and, and turn them from prospects to contenders and get them those opportunities to be able to um, be able to, you know, fight the better fighters and, and win. Um, but, you know, it doesn't happen without, you know, development. Yeah. And the interesting thing is you, the trick, of course, for your series is you want to do that all the while creating competitive and fascinating fights. You're not trying to give people just, uh, you know, uh, a, a stepping stone. You, you, you put two people in together and the question is, OK, which one of these guys will emerge as the as the contender? Well, we want to make competitive fights. You know, earlier this year, we had Samson Lukowitz's Yace Solano taking on Lou DeBella's Mike Juan. Williams, you know, um, and Mike Juan Williams beat Samson yeah. fighter Ye Solano, you know, a battle of unbeatens. Right. But neither neither loss, you know, the loss of Ye right. Solano in this case is not going to hurt his career. It's happening yeah. early in his in his career. And, you know, we want to be able to make competitive matchups. And, and I think most importantly, we have a lot of integrity on Showbox, or at least we feel we do. <laughs> and, you know, we want to be able to tell a story how legitimately the red corner fighter can win yeah. or the blue corner fighter can win. And that that's really important to us above anything. You know, we're not here to be shills for any fighter uh, and we're not here to embellish any fighter right. because our audience is the core boxing fans. Um, and I tell you, our audience loves Brandon Lee. Yeah. Uh, you, you are so right about that. And let's get back to him. You know, uh, the, the thing about him that's interesting, of course, he's a, you know, started when he was so young and he he's lived, eat and breathed boxing uh, with his dad, who you've seen so many times, fighters whose dads are, are trainers and have molded them uh, since young, since being a youngster. He seems so dedicated to the sport. And that seems like a big advantage to him. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you follow him on um, social media, which he has a large uh, social media following, uh, you know, he's always training. He's always working out. Um, and, you know, he has high expectations himself. And he's a wonderful, you know, person, first of yeah. all. Uh, you know, he's articulate. He's well-mannered. He uh, is a college student. Uh, you know, has good management, you know, Cameron Duncan has had many champions in the past and he's right. not just taking any fighter because he could have them. Uh, you know, Cameron has a plan for him. You know, we've had our, 
our discussions over matching Brandon, you know, properly and appropriately, um, you know, throughout his four times on Showbox, and you know, really happy to have had him have that Sam Tia fight, which really, as I said previously, boosts his, you know, exposure. But I want to see him take that next level. Right. I mean, I'd love to see, and you'd talk about who could he fight next? Well, maybe a Malik Hawkins. Maybe oh, yeah, so that would be great. Maybe a Sojohan Ergashev, who we had on Showbox. Maybe an Ivan Baranchik. You know, mm -hmm. uh, there's there are fighters that are there that I'd like to see him fight next, and hopefully we can, you know, feature that on one more Showbox, uh, you know, and have his uh, graduation day. But um, he's um, he's... He's exciting. He's got all the intangibles, and um, you know, I believe he's I believe he's the best prospect in boxing right now. And I also believe that he will be a certain world champion. Interesting. He says his uh, championship. He'd like to shoot for that championship uh, certainly by 2022. Is that a, a early 2022? Is that a reasonable uh, um, expectation on his part? Yeah, the only question that we could have about Brandon Lee, and I'd be curious about your thoughts about this, is that he hasn't really gotten punched in the face yet. Right. And he hasn't really, uh, I mean, even in the Dakota-Linger fight where he dominated Dakota and the kid had Dakota and he had a tremendous um, uh, will, but uh, he connected a little in, in, in that second round against Brandon. And, uh, but we really haven't seen Brandon face a puncher. Uh, we haven't really seen Brandon um, get hit. Uh, you know, he's been in fights where he could pretty much dictate the, the pace. But, you know, as you look at fighters and how they go along, all you can do is judge on who they have faced. Right. And so far he has taken on everyone in front of them and, and dominated them and knocked out almost all of them. So we could be looking at one of the next great fighters in boxing. And only time will tell. Before I let you go, uh, Gordon, I, I have to ask you because uh, I don't get this opportunity to interview you on, uh, uh, you know, in the media very often. Uh, over the years, you know, so we always talk about the um, the number of champions that Showbox has produced and the careers that it has launched. Is that kind of uh, that along, I assume, that along with just creating great fights, it seems like that would be a source of great pride to you and, and everyone that, uh, you know, that's associated with Showbox. Uh, yeah, you know, for, for me, who was here for 10 years, uh, you know, working with Jay Larkin and, and, mm -hmm. and having the opportunity to come on, you know, to be a part in, uh, of, of Showbox and sort of oversee the fights and become the executive producer and, and manage it. For me personally, it's, it's extremely rewarding because there's very few things in life that you can really be a big part of. And, and, right. and I feel that Showbox, I am a bit, it, it, it's, it's been a little bit of my baby, so to speak, but it doesn't come without others around me that have been tremendously supportive. Uh, Steve Farhood, who's a good friend and colleague. Uh, I can't talk enough boxing with him and I've learned so much from him. Uh, Rich Gone, our producer and Rick Phillips, both guys that have been with me for 30 years really right. in other capacities and then have grown throughout the company much like myself to be able to take on significant roles on, on Showbox. Um, 
you know, the announcers we've had over the years, whether it be Nick Charles, who was a great friend and missed all, missed every day. Uh, you know, Kurt Menefee was with us and had a great run and loved it. And uh, of course, Barry Tompkins, you can't say enough about him. Raul Marquez has become a terrific analyst. Yes, and I believe absolutely. a lot of that is his development on, um, on Showbox. Uh, you know, the support we have from, you know, David Dinkins and Steven Espinosa and all the people at, show, at, at Showtime, because what we do is unique and different. What our series no. stand for is no is not like uh, any other, and uh, and so it is uh, important. I think it's important to the sport of boxing. No. Uh, it's in sport of it's important to the development. We're giving young fighters exposure that they never would have gotten 20, 25 years ago, thirty years ago, and we're helping build them to give those opportunities that every fighter dreams of, and that's becoming a contender. So. Um, I think we're all um, very happy about what we've accomplished here at Showtime. And rightfully so. It's a great mission statement. And um, I, it, for those of us that are tangentially uh, it, it, on the just the cusp or the edge of uh, Showbox, you look in on it and it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful uh, endeavor and it's a great group of people that, uh, that makes it work. And uh, I think all people in boxing have a certain kind of respect and admiration for how Showbox has stayed true to its mission statement and just continued to do what it does at a, a high level. And I, 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 I cannot forget that Al Bernstein has been on Showbox many times. Occasionally, I will drop in on your, your, your group he has, as, a, <laughs> as a guest. He, you are a, a, another <laughs> contributor to this series. Always fun. It was always, you look back at things in life that are grand experiences. And uh, every time I've been privileged to be a part of Showbox, it was that. Gordon, I, I appreciate you visiting with us. Thanks for taking some time to talk about Brandon Lee and about Showbox in general. I, I really appreciate it. We're headed to, I think, a very exciting year in boxing and, and an exciting year in Showtime boxing. Oh, yeah. I think, you know, and we're going right into Saturday's show with Boots Ennis, who we had on Showbox many times, uh, you know, helped develop him, another Cameron Duncan fighter. Cameron's got some really good fighters. Mm -hmm. You know, he also has Brian Norman, another really good kid. But uh, Jerron Boots Ennis, you know, whatever we say about Brandon Lee and all those great things, you can almost just say the same thing uh -huh. about about Jerron Boots Ennis. That's for and, sure. And, but Saturday is his defining fight so far as a pro. And, um, you know, we're all really glad to see it. And I know Boots is too. Boots wants this fight. Boots wants to, you know, go to the next level. And I think um, I look for a late stoppage in that fight uh, with Boots being uh, victorious. But um, should be interesting. That's for sure. Gordon, thank you so much. Appreciate you doing it. So Gordon Hall uh, telling you, uh, I think some giving you some interesting insights into uh, how it works with a young boxer getting on television and uh, how that series, the Showbox series, uh, can be helpful and how fighters like Brandon Lee help make the Showbox series something special. So uh, that was intriguing to be sure. A fighter that was on Showbox early in his career uh, is someone this next question is about. It is. Joy Deep writes, how much do you attribute Tyson Fury's tremendous height to what he's accomplished? Yeah, we, uh, it's a very interesting question. And Tyson Fury was on Showbox. And I remember I 
stepped, I did one of my occasional appearances on Showbox in doing his fight uh, that was from England. I think Richie Powers is the fighter he fought. Um, Tyson Fury, it's hard to separate out the physical attributes he has from his skill set. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm about to tell you how important and beneficial it is for him to be six foot nine and have a reach of 85 inches. This is all a big part of his success, but I don't mean it to denigrate the fact that Tyson Fury knows how to fight. He's got a terrific jab, an excellent straight right hand, and in recent fights has shown us really good body punching and a, and a, a, a much improved left hook. So Tyson Fury knows how to fight, but all of it becomes a much more potent brew given the fact that he has that big height and big reach. And that height and reach has helped him in his fights with Vladimir Klitschko when he won the title uh, and against uh, uh, Deontay Wilder uh, in his uh, two fights with Wilder. Uh, because he, you know, in the heavyweight division now, you're facing big, tall heavyweights. Wilder's tall. Uh, Klitschko was tall. Um, uh, Joshua is tall. Anthony Joshua. So you're going to be facing big, tall heavyweights. And the height that Fury brings, which is just a few inches higher than most everybody else, and that enormous reach helps him control the action. And even though in this last fight against Wilder, he went against type and uh, came on the inside to do a lot of the damage he did, uh, he is uh, aided and abetted greatly by the height and the reach that he has in these fights. Um, I want to mention a friend of ours, Tommy Ankello, who has a great uh, uh, site, World Class Boxing uh, channel on uh, YouTube. And uh, among the things that are discussed in many of the different videos is how a fighter uses height and reach and uh, anything about the sport of boxing, uh, whether it's a learning tool or understanding the sport, you're going to find a, uh, a video on that site, uh, Tommy and Kello's World Class Boxing, that will help you understand the sport a lot better. So, And you can also see our this show on that uh, YouTube channel as well. Uh, so uh, we, we have Brandon Lee this week, but next week, we're going to have uh, his stablemate, Jerron Boots Ennis, who's going to be on the show. Uh, and we'll be able to talk to him about his, uh, his career in boxing. And uh, it's fun trip getting some of these fighters that are just close to stardom. And then we can remember what they were like before they got there. <laughs> and we'll get them again in a couple of years when they're on top of the world. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> then we can, uh, we can juxtapose. Uh, what they said, uh, what they'll say then with what they say now. Uh, well, my thanks to Brandon Lee and to Gordon Hall for visiting with us. Thanks to Tripp, as always, for his fine job. Thanks to Let's Do Something Production folks for making this possible. And we'll see you next time. Hey.